Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fifth and Podcast, presented to you by Patrick Damar and Paul, the Kamish Kashak. Awesome episode for you today, previewing the NFL Awards ceremony that will be taking place this coming Thursday night. Uh, this is day two of five for our Super Bowl week festivities. We hope you enjoyed our initial episode yesterday, covering some Super Bowl nostalgia topics from the 2000s. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be breaking down the legacy of Patrick Mahomes or his potential legacy, how he can add to it with another win in the Super Bowl this coming Sunday. So uh, if you're interested in sponsorship with the show, reach out to us at patandpaulpods at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the socials on Twitter at Fifth and Long on Instagram and YouTube at Fifth and Long Pod. Thanks very much and enjoy the show. Fifth and Long fans, welcome back to the show. Patrick DeMar here, Patty D. Uh, that was my nickname in high school. Um, and Paul the Kamish Kashak. We're back and thus begins our Super Bowl week uh, of content. This is something kind of unique for us. We're going to be releasing a little bit of content every single day um, prior to the Super Bowl, the big game, Sunday, 6.30 p.m. kickoff Eastern time between the Chiefs and Niners. We're going to break down every single angle of that later in the week, but we got a lot of awesome football stuff to cover between now and then. Um, First and foremost, we've got... Our NFL end of the season awards this coming Thursday night is going to be the ceremony. Uh, It's going to start at 8 p.m. It'll be broadcasted, I believe, on NFL Network, uh, maybe some other spaces as well. Um, We sort of did our own version of, of awards for fantasy football, and we talked about doing actual picks for the actual awards later on. Uh, of course, we we announced a few weeks ago when the finalists were announced. Um, that was probably, I, th- I think, three weeks ago now, if I'm not mistaken, two, three weeks ago. Paul, between all of these awards um, that we have here and, and the finalists and whatnot, is there anybody that really, is there any category or award specifically that really jumps out to you where it should be a automatic slam dunk for a finalist. I don't know if there's any award in my opinion, that's an automatic slam dunk, but I know based on what, what we're hearing from the sports writers. And uh, if you look at some of the betting markets, I think Lamar is pretty much the shoe in for, for MVP. And he's very deserving of that. You know, if you look at what he was able to do with that Baltimore Ravens team this year, both through the air and on the ground, and, and you compare how things kind of wilted off for them at the end of last season when Tyler Huntley had to come in and and how they were just an early exit in the playoffs against the Bengals. And I mean, Lamar does so much for them leading rusher and passer in both the the playoff games. So he's certainly very deserving there. I think that there are plenty of other guys that have a case. I mean, if you look, we've talked about what Brock Purdy has done many times in San Francisco and Christian McCaffrey as well, uh, both on the ground and, and through the air, what he's done, but if there is one guy, I think that also has a case in the MVP that's not even on the the finalist list. I think what CJ Stroud did for Houston is, is certainly impressive this year as well. Um, pretty much carrying that that roster to the divisional round in the playoffs. And I think all you have to do is kind of look back and look at how bleak things were for those couple weeks when he was hurt. I mean, look at that game in Cleveland that he didn't play in the regular season, and then compare what happened when he does get in there. 
in the first round of the playoffs. So wanted to give a shout out to him because I think he should have been a finalist over maybe like a Josh Allen or something like that. But I think Lamar's kind of the the slam dunk right now. Uh, other guys, maybe like defensive player of the year, I think Miles Garrett's a pretty big favorite, although I think multiple guys on that list as well have, have a case there. Since you mentioned Stroud, he's not an MVP finalist, like you said, but he is a finalist for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, let's break down that that award first and those finalists, because I feel like that's the one where you could you could make a great case for Stroud, but at the same time, um, Stroud didn't set a, a single season rookie receiving record like Puka Nakua did. 105 receptions, 1,486 yards, six touchdowns. That's not even mentioning guys like uh, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, B. John Robinson is a finalist for this as well. But if, I, if I'm looking at the numbers and what these guys accomplished this year, I feel like it has to be between Nakua and Stroud. And, and you mentioned Stroud there, but I would lean way more heavily towards Puka for winning this award. That's who my pick for, for, uh, for the award would be. But he's actually at plus 450 on the betting market to win this, where Stroud is the favorite and minus 1000. Yeah. Believe it or not, despite the kind words that I just had about CJ Stroud and and saying that he had a case to at least be an MVP finalist. I I'm also going with Puka Nakua here for the offensive rookie of the year. I think when you break the rookie receptions record and the rookie receiving yards record, like what else can you do? You know um, not only that, but it was just two years ago that Cooper cup was the triple crown winner and in football and he was the best receiver in football two years ago and now puka nakua uh in just a short amount of time has replaced him as the go-to guy you know i talked about where would houston be without cj stroud but also where would puka nakua or where would the rams be without puka nakua you know you had cooper cop start the season on on injured reserve you know we saw how impactful he was in the playoff game against detroit going for over 100 yards and a touchdown there i mean i i think you can argue that the rams aren't even close to having a shot at, in that game if Puka Nakua doesn't go off and, and make some spectacular catches. So I really have no problem with either Stroud or Nakua for this award. But yeah, I am going to lean slightly Puka Nakua here. I also kind of think that because, and, and I don't love my reasoning behind this, but it is a thought that I have. Like, because awards in the NFL are so quarterback-driven, like especially when it comes to the MVP, I think Stroud's going to have multiple opportunities or at least more opportunities throughout the rest of his career to win high level awards, like an MVP, for example, whereas Puka Nakua just being a receiver, I don't think we'll be given that many opportunities. So I'd like to see him win this award here, a rookie of the year award. I think he certainly has a deserving case and um, give it, give it to the non quarterback here for once in this instance. Do you think Stroud is the favorite more so because of the situation he inherited as a quarterback? I mean, they went from one of the worst teams in the league to to winning their division, a competitive division at that, came down to the last week of the season. Um, rookie head coach, you know, he, he doesn't have Sean McVay calling the shots. Puka had an awesome year, and, and like I said, he would be my pick as well. But if Stroud wins this award, I, I don't think it's unwarranted by any means. No, definitely not unwarranted, like I said. Uh, I think that the situation that he was dealt – has something to to do with it. But I think ultimately the driving stat for him is that he had the best TD to pick ratio in the league this year. And um, the fact that he is a rookie, obviously I know this is a rookie award, but that's like even more impressive to, to have 
to lead the league in that ratio and, and to win a playoff game where, I mean, so many rookies have have struggled to do that. I know we've seen a couple himself and, and Brock Purdy do that in the past couple of years, but yeah, just the fact that he's a quarterback and, and, uh, and all the things like that, I think play into, to why he's the the front runner for this. As far as the defensive rookie of the year goes, uh, the odds on this are a little interesting to me. Jalen Carter is the favorite at minus 225, according to that MGM. Uh, Will Anderson, currently you're just behind him at plus 225. And then it's uh, Kobe Turner, Devin Witherspoon. Um, Joey Porter Jr. isn't even like really listed amongst the, the odds right now, which is wild to me. Um, but this one, I feel like you, you could go a couple different ways on It's It's less like obvious to me who, um, who should win this award. If I had to lean anywhere, I mean, Devon Witherspoon's stat line actually jumped out to me the most, just because I think he, he got more snaps than anybody else, but Will Anderson was awesome this year uh, for Houston, just as vital to the Texans' success and rise this year as Stroud was. So that's who I would go with for for my choice. Yeah, I'm torn on this one here. Uh, Witherspoon was a was a great call. I mean, if I'm just you know looking at his stats compared to the other guys on this Rookie of the Year finalist list, I mean, he has the most tackles out of anybody, and. I- He's a cornerback, but he's still able to get uh, three sacks uh, as a corner is pretty yeah. impressive there as well. And uh, has a touchdown to his credit here, but believe it or not, I, I know this guy probably won't win it. Um, and, you know, I didn't get to see a whole lot of, I didn't like isolate my focus on this guy in particular when I was watching his team play, but I've heard some miraculous things about Kobe Turner this year that he's getting double and triple teamed at like an Aaron Donald type rate. And to see him, be second on this defensive rookie of the year list and tackles still racking up 57 tackles when a guy like him is really just kind of supposed to, to eat blocks and also have nine sacks. I, I'm going to make a case for him here. I think, you know, learning from Aaron Donald, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Aaron Donald or anything like that, but here's a guy I think that's going to be very impactful on that defensive line for the Rams in, in the years to come. I'd like to see it go to him because that that's just not a position there that gets a ton of love and it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet there. And I know that like the committee or committee for lack of a better term, but I know that on the uh, defensive player of the year side of things, they're using a lot of these underlying stats where like pass rush win rate and looking at double and triple teams rather than just focusing on a player's sacks or, or tackles, for example, I hear a lot of that discussion going on, on the defensive player of the year side. I think that we should have something similar on the rookie of the year side. So I'm going to advocate for Kobe Turner here. I know he probably won't win it, but I like what he's done in LA there. I think that he's going to have a, a really good career in years come. Nice. I like that pick a little bit different, a little bit different. Um, wow. Kobe Turner. Nice. LA Rams, man. It would be cool if they doubled up with, with Puka and with Kobe Turner. I don't know if it'll yeah, happen, but I mean, they've got, they've got just a ton of guys. I mean, and uh, Kyron Williams is young too. I know he's not a rookie, but you know, a lot of young talent there. And and it's not like they had, you know, the crazy thing about them is it's not like they had high level draft picks to to select these guys. These are, these are value guys, fourth, fifth round guys that are making impact. Yeah, I can certainly, I, I mean, it's no secret. Sean McVay is a great coach, but the fact that he's a great talent evaluator too, is 
something that could um, really benefit the Rams in the long haul, especially when it comes time for them to, to recycle away from Stafford and, and whatnot. Um, how about coach of the year? Let's jump into coach of the year and let's do the, let's do the assistance first because um, no coach can be a great, no good coach can be a good coach without good assistance around him. So some of these guys are, are now going to be head coaches elsewhere. Um, Mike McDonald, Ravens, former defensive coordinator, now going to be the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Todd Munkin is on this list, the Ravens offensive coordinator. You got Ben Johnson, Lions offensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, the Browns defensive coordinator, and Bobby Slowick, the Texans offensive coordinator. Paul, some really great coaches to choose from here. Are you looking at this simply as who had the best unit in football this year or are you looking at more from the perspective of who was able to elevate the play of their unit the most mm. you know I, I think you get into a tricky conversation when you talk about who elevated elevated the play because it's it, I don't know it's difficult to quantify that just as us looking back um like watching games from our couch but I so I do give more credence to like was the unit good in general? Like who had the better unit? Uh, and for that reason, I'm probably leaning Mike McDonald here. But to your point about elevating players and, and their play, I mean, Jared Goff arguably had one of the best seasons of his career. I, I think that there's one season in LA where the the TD to pick ratio and the passer rating lines up and might be slightly better than what he did this year in Detroit. But Not, not to mention you've got two finalists for rookie of the year too. Exactly, yeah. So it, it does come down to that, that argument. Um, I think I lean slightly towards like who is the better overall unit, but I, I hear you. If you're, if you are looking at it as who elevated the play, I think that for me, whatever you value more comes down to whether you're going to, um, who you're going to pick in this one. And I'm going to lean Mike McDonald, but Ben Johnson certainly, certainly has a case as well for, for what you were talking about with the, the youth and talent out there and, and getting the best out of them on that Lions offensive side of the ball. I'm interested to see. Um, I'm interested to see if if Jim Schwartz gets any love from the voting panel on this because, I mean, if you look at the Browns season this year, just going like slightly previewing the Coach of the Year award, Kevin Stefanski did an awesome job with the Browns this season, losing their star offensive player Nick Chubb, like basically the first or second week of the season. I think it was Week One, and then Watson, your the guy that's supposed to be your starting quarterback barely played in the year. You end up losing him as well. You had to deal with four different starting quarterbacks. One of them, Joe Flacco was a guy that came off the couch to lead you to a four and one record. Obviously he crashed and burned in the divisional round, but these voters aren't taking the playoffs into account. It's just the regular season. And, and that was the wild card round, excuse me, not the divisional round uh, that they lost in. Um, uh, without the Browns defense this year, simply put, they don't even make, they don't sniff the playoffs. So I think there should be something said about that. I don't think Schwartz is going to win this award, but I think just in terms of what each unit meant to their team, like for the Ravens, right? You've got both of your coordinators on this list. We all know how great of a, uh, of a head coach Harbaugh is as well. He's a finalist for the coach of the year award. Um, it's a collection of a, of a fantastic staff. Whereas, Swartz, you've got Stefanski there, but you fired your offensive coordinator mid-year. You deal with all these injuries and whatnot. The, the team is relying on your side of the ball to win you games. 
And that's exactly what they did. Um, if I had to pick someone I'm like you, I, I'm kind of tempted to lean towards McDonald's. I feel like that's the smart choice here. Johnson will get a, a lot of appreciation as well. Um, I'd be surprised if anybody else won it, but if it was going to be anybody else, I would hope it would be Schwartz, but I think overall you and I are, are in agreement here. Mike McDonald is the smart choice as far as assistant coach of the year goes. Are we? Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah. That, that's who I'm going to lean as, as I said, and uh, when I had the mic, but I, I, I hear what you're saying about Jim Schwartz and, and how like the, okay, the offensive side of the the coaching staff wasn't quite as solid as, as maybe Todd Munkin and the, and the Ravens offensive staff. Although I would say that Todd Munkin coached, one and had one of the worst game plans I've ever seen <laughs> in, in that game against Kansas city. So bad, but, and yes, Baltimore still probably would have been a playoff team, even if their defense was like just average, just because Lamar Jackson is very good, but they wouldn't have had the record that they did with, you know, without the Ravens defense and, and how, and the job Mike McDonald did. I mean, this was the number one overall seed and yes, it was a lot due to Lamar, but like, keep in mind this defense force for, turnovers against an MVP finalist and, and Brock Purdy. And they made one of the best offenses, maybe the best offense in football this year. And the 49ers look silly. So, you know, they were able to win plenty of games this year solely on their defense. Um, so it shouldn't be overshadowed that Lamar had a great season as well. It shouldn't be overshadowed the importance that this Ravens defense had to the overall team success. And, and I think Mike McDonald deserves a lot of credit for that. For me, the reason why I go with, the biggest reason why I go with the Ravens is I go back to that stat where um, at one point in the AFC championship game, I think it was when the Ravens were down 10 and I shared this stat with you when we did our recap episode, that game in that situation, that was the first time all year in which Lamar attempted a pass down by more than a touchdown. That's yes, a testament to offensive efficiency, but more so it's a testament to your defense never giving up enough points for you to be in that situation in the first place. And right. um, yeah, man, I, I mean, they were the best until, until they were bested by Mahomes last week, they were the best, best defense in football. And, and I said, um, I think in our conference championship preview episode, I thought they were the best individual side of the ball in football, like individual unit, offense, defense, whatever. Um yeah, didn't work out where, where they ended up winning the game, but they only gave up 17 points to Mahomes. Right. That was that was going to be the point I was just going to make. I mean, yeah, they got bested by Mahomes, for lack of a better term, but it wasn't like Kansas City was running all up and down the, the field on them. I mean, the, it looked pretty bleak early, but they got things in control and, you know, they didn't give up any points in the second half. So, yeah, they were down by 10, and, and you threw that stat out about the Ravens attempting to pass down 10, but, but it's not like uh, – the defense put the offense of Baltimore in an insurmountable position where they couldn't come back and they held firm at the end. So, yeah, absolutely. What about head coach coach of the year? Cause, cause this one, I feel like there's so many great choices. You can make an argument for all of them. Um, Dan Campbell, Detroit lions, John Harbaugh, Baltimore Ravens, D'Amico Ryans, the Houston Texans, Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers and Kevin Stefanski of the Cleveland Browns. This is basically just a who's who of best coaches in the league. No Sean McVay on this list, despite the job he did this year. Uh, no Shane Steichen with the Colts. They just missed out on a playoff spot this year. Um, you could have even, I think, 
given some credit to a Sean McDermott for, for the drive that he had the bills on at the tail end of the year, they had to win every single one of their games down the stretch to make the playoffs and to win the division. And they did that. Um, but ultimately I feel like McVeigh is, is the biggest snub from this list. And I think if he had been included on it, you and I might have spoken really favorably of him and, and maybe even one of us might've picked him. I don't know if I would have picked him per se, but you are right. I, I would have definitely given him some props and and I have throughout the course of the season. So I think that that is a very good call for, for snub. I mean, I think people, people are like have quickly forgotten that the Rams were supposed to stink this year. Um, and, and you haven't had high level draft picks either. Like I mentioned earlier in this segment, you've been doing this with fourth, fifth round guys like Kyron Williams, Pukunakua, Kobe Turner's that are not these like first round top level prospects that, you expect to jump in right away and make an impact just based on pure raw ability. It's coaching that is making these guys so good. So, so yeah, so McVay deserves a lot of love there. I I would have liked to see him on this list, but it's tough to find somebody to bump him off for the guy that I'm going with though, for coach of the year, I think a lot of people are going to be taking Dan Campbell and a lot of people who are going to hear me pick somebody else are going to say, Oh, you're just doing it because you're critical of Campbell's decisions to go for it on fourth down. No, I, I, I really, the playoffs and what transpired in them doesn't have any bearing on it for me. I know it doesn't factor in, in the actual selection of the award for me, it's D'Amico Ryan's. I, I really don't understand how you can go anywhere else. The Texans were the second overall pick in the draft, uh, this uh, past year. I mean, so there was second worst team in football. They were expected to win only a handful of games. Everybody was chalking that division up to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they had a rookie quarterback, first-year head coach, to not only win the division, but they win a playoff game in the playoffs. To me, this award is pretty simply, and the way I look at it, and I think that by and large, I think a lot of writers and, and people who vote on this look at it this way too, is that what was the expectation for the team coming in? And like, what's the talent level, obviously, but expectation, and then what was the actual outcome? And to me, it's a far wider gap between expectation for the Texans coming into this season and the actual team outcome. Again, this team is projected for what? I bet you go back and look at the Vegas over-under. It was like a four or five, maybe six wins total for this team. And they are division champs of the AFC South, and they win a playoff game. The Lions were the projected favorite to win the NFC North this year. This is a team that won nine games last year and only missed out on the playoffs because of a tiebreaker. And not taken away from what Dan Campbell has done but everybody kind of acknowledged already that this was a team that could compete it had good weapons on the offensive side of the ball they were happy about their top draft picks as well um and they made some moves in in free agency as well getting some guys to help out on the the cornerback positions so i think just comparing expectation and outcome i think you have to give it to D'Amico ryan so that's how i'm looking at it here certainly a fair choice um their preseason over under win total was six and a half by there the you way. Go. Six and a half. There you go. Um definitely beat that, won their division, like we said. Um the Rams projected win total. Uh the over-under was also at six and a half this year, by the way. It's not like they had a number two draft pick at their disposal. Instead, they had a fifth rounder turn into uh the best rookie in, in the league. Um <laughs> uh one of the best rookies in the league. I'm really tempted to lean D'Amico here as well. Um, Quick notes about some of our other contestants. John Harbaugh, Kevin Stefanski, both have won Coach of the Year 
awards in the past. Uh, Stefanski did it with the Lions a handful of years, uh, or with the uh, Browns um, in 2020 21. Harbaugh did it with Baltimore the year before. Um, I think both those guys have a great case for this award. I even think Campbell does. Shanahan, to me, is is um, being included on this list. I understand why, because of how, how great of a team the Niners are. But I feel like this is more of a sign of respect from the voters than anything else for who he is as a coach. He has so much talent at his disposal on that roster for – for him not to succeed with it, I think it would be almost inexcusable, you know, um, for for a coach of his caliber. So Stefanski, like I talked about before, I, I really love the job that the Browns were able to do this year, making it to just their second playoff appearance in the last however many years. Stefanski was the head coach for both of those playoff runs. Um, D'Amico, I, I understand, but like I said, I, I think, the Browns had to overcome much more in their season to overcome or, or not to the Browns had to overcome more in their season to surpass their expectations that were had for them. Their win total this year was at nine and a half. They also went over that and they did it despite running through four quarterbacks, losing Nick Chubb. Like I said, they had a handful of defensive injuries and not to mention they played in one of the toughest divisions in football with the team who had the best record in the NFL in it right ahead of you. So I, I think, you know, Houston, that division was wide open. Um, even like, I mean, the Titans weren't any good, but the Colts, the, the Jaguars, none of those teams were were great. And even, even Houston, like they had some flaws in, in their team as well. And, and D'Amico did an awesome job getting them there. You've got maybe the rookie of the year at your disposal on that team. Kevin Stefanski had who Deshaun Kaiser, Joe Flacco. Like, I, I think Sean I think, Kaiser is a couple years ago. Dorian Thompson Robinson, who you just thinking of? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Do don't you, know if that's don't know if that's better, but yeah, I don't even know who the other quarterback <laughs> is. I feel like that just proves my point. PJ like, Walker is the other guy. I think you're forgetting. No, I, I meant I was referencing like I didn't know Deshaun Kaiser versus DTR, but yeah, DTR. Oh. PJ Walker was on there. PJ Walker who. Like, I'm pretty sure they cut after Flacco arrived that like not even on the roster yeah, eventually anymore. Or they were like relegated under practice squad or something like that. Yeah. PJ Walker is going to be probably playing in the UFL again this year. And and somehow Kevin Stabansky managed to find a way to win a game with him as their starting quarterback. So that's that's who I'm going with. I'm going with Stefanski. I think Ryan's is is a great choice. And if he wins, I understand why I respect it. I think. The Texans are going to be a good team for, for a long time. Um, but I feel similarly about, about the Browns. So I feel pretty good about this one. Yeah, you make a fair case. Um, I do just want to say one quick thing um, about the, the Texans before we move on here. You said that the division was wide open. I would argue that that is, I believe, a revisionist take or a hindsight 2020. This was division was pretty clearly supposed to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars at the beginning of the year. They were pretty big betting favorite for that. Remember, they were the defending champs of the AFC South in the previous year. Lawrence dealt with some injuries and did not play nearly his best football. So I hear you if you're saying that, well, it was more of the Jaguars giving it away than the Texans really seizing it. I think that there's an argument to be made there, but I don't think that you could say that that division was that wide open 
However, I mean, it, with that being said, I do like you do make a fair case once again for the Browns about all the quarterback issues they had to overcome and losing arguably yeah. their best player in Chubb. I mean, the AFC South, it, the winner of the AFC South wasn't decided until the last week of the season. And part of that came in a game where the Texans and Colts were essentially like playing for the division title in a way. So I. It, right. Again, but like I, I hear what you're saying about about like looking at it in hindsight, but yeah, if you but at the at, beginning of the at, year, the, Jags at the beginning of the year, this was supposed to be a slam dunk Jags. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I, I get you. I get you. I know what you mean there. Um, okay. So you've got Tamika winning coach of the year. I've got Stefanski. Um, <laughs> how about comeback player of the year? Are you, uh, um... Oh boy. I hope we don't get canceled for our opinions. Cause I, Cause I know who you're not picking and he's going to be the same guy that I'm not picking. As so well. neither of us want Damar Hamlin to win the award. Can I, can I make my case? I I, I think you, you'll have a case as well. Well, I, the case is simple. I feel like we're both going to say the same thing. He just barely played this year. Like next year, if he comes back and he plays in a lot of games, give him the award. I don't care. Sure. Give him the award. But to me, it's just a matter of like to be comeback player of the year. It's, you have to you have to put more product on the field and and like some of the other guys what they're able to do this year i think is look tamar hamlin almost died on the football field all right we're not discounting that it's it's incredible the fact that he's still playing and that he was able to suit up this season and it's a testament to character testament to uh the abilities of medical professionals emergency uh, professionals in, in that regard as well that were in present um, during that game. I mean, we all watched it go down on TV. It was terrifying. Um, but I, I think it's unfair to some of the other guys to just hand the award to Hamlin without considering the cases and circumstances for for a Joe Flacco, for a Baker Mayfield, even for a Matthew Stafford to a certain extent. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm with you in the same boat. I think if it's an NFL award, you have like performance has to factor into it. You have to play well on the field to deserve this award. But the NFL clearly is not looking at it that way. And if you actually look up the definition of the comeback player of the year award on NFL.com, it says the following. It says shows perseverance in overcoming adversity in the form of not being in the NFL the previous year a severe injury or simply poor performance. So I, I assume that Hamlin's case would fall under severe injury. Look, yes. Did it take perseverance? I, I think maybe mentally as much as anything for him to, to get back out on the field, considering the fact that he almost lost his life there, you know, less than a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. I just, again, I just think if it's an NFL award, the actual comeback part of it, like you have only come back, if you're if you're playing well and you're helping your team win football games and i think that a guy like baker mayfield did that more so than anybody else on the list i mean he had the tampa bay buccaneers in the divisional round and this was a guy who was left for dead he was cut last year he was a backup and now he finds his role as a starting quarterback with the buccaneers and is an instrumental piece in why they got to the point that they did and you know he had one of his best statistical seasons so look i I want to see that, like, I want to see that be awarded more so than just a story, really. And, and again, extremely scary thing what happened with DeMar Hamlin and all the credit in the world to him for persevering and, and having the courage to get back on the football field, because I personally don't think I would have 
been able to do that. But just because of that story and just because of that, like I, I again, I don't think that that should overshadow other guys on the list, this list who were actual better football players than him this year. And for that reason, I'm giving it to Baker. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, like I said, if, if Hamlin comes back next year, has an awesome season and, um, and has a more worthy uh, resume <laughs> going back to our college hoops episode the other day, I, I think that will be deserving of the award. Whereas, um, you know, I, I, if he does win, I get it and I won't be upset about it. Um, but I do selfishly though, I, I would really love for a Baker or for, uh, for Flacco to win it. Um, Hamlin is the betting odds favorite pretty much on all markets. Um, Flacco actually has the, the second best odds, believe it or not, on most channels. Interesting. FanDuel has him at, at plus 450. Uh, DraftKings has him as, at plus 350. And and I understand why. Um, I mean, you think about it this way. Four and one record coming off the couch, like we said earlier. Um Hadn't gone through any practices or anything with the team. No mini camp, right? Just gets handed a playbook. They tell him to figure it out. And then they go to a four and one record. They, they take the five seed. Yes. They lose in the playoffs and, and it wasn't pretty in that game. So I think recency bias will come into effect. If he does this, win this award, people are going to go, Oh, why he stunk in that, in that wild card game. But it's like we said before the the people who decide who wins these awards, they're not looking at anything that happened in the playoffs. It's purely regular season games. Um, I would love for Baker to win it too. That's probably who I would pick. Uh, 4,044 passing yards for Baker this year, which for the record is a career high. 28 touchdown passes, also a career high. Uh, 64.3 completion percentage, also a career high. This guy had the best season of his career coming off of a season in which he was benched in Carolina after uh, four or five games. They went one and five. He fills in for the injured Matthew Stafford in Los Angeles for four or five games after sitting out a handful of games, right? Like just ends up in LA and McVay gives him the keys. They go one and three. He wasn't really that impressive. Had 850 yards, four TDs to two picks. Nobody expected anything in Tampa this year at all. And like we, like we said several times that the, the people deciding these awards don't look into playoff stats, but this guy just, he led them to an FC South title. He led them to a playoff victory over the defending Super Bowl runner up or the NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I'm trying not to take that into account with this. I, I just like, I think it means something too, to a certain extent, you know, and nine and eight this year, career highs across the board. Uh, I mean, he's changed. I think the entire perception of who he is as a player, as a team leader, um, as a guy to run your offense and, and to a certain extent, run your franchise as well. I've heard that Tampa is going to try extending him with a, a contract that could have a yearly value of a 40 million plus, which is a lot of money, a lot of money. Even for quarterbacks, that's a ton of money. 
Definitely, dude. Um, the only other thing I wanted to add about Baker Mayfield is just, you know, talking about the the aspect of perseverance and all of it in, in the definition of the award. And look, I think that you could say that Baker Mayfield and DeMar Hamlin were asking themselves very similar questions uh, coming into the season, albeit for far, far different reasons. But I think that both of these guys, you could say, were asking themselves, can I can I play anymore? You know, DeMar Hamlin for the reason of, you know, can I, can I get in the mental headspace that I need to considering what happened a year ago and Baker, just because am I talented enough to do it? And so I think that it's, um, it's a little bit short-sighted to just overlook the fact that, or, or not consider that Baker Mayfield also had to persevere and overcome a lot of things within his own headspace to get to the point that he did in this NFL season and prove a lot of doubters wrong and, and have the year that he did. I'm one of those doubters. I thought his, his days as a, uh, starting quarterback were done. Um, I think he was supposed to be competing with Kyle Trask in the, in the, um, in training camp. And I was like, you know, I was thinking to myself, maybe Trask or somebody like that will take over this job midway through the year. And this was a Bucks team that was supposed to suck as well. And, uh, he's proved everybody wrong and you're right. He's going to get paid handsomely for it. So wanted to make that final point about Baker Mayfield that you never know what's going on in somebody's head and, and motivation and perseverance can have multiple different forms. No, I totally agree with you. And, and, to your point, though, with guys asking themselves, you know, can I play anymore? Flacco was asking himself that question until about week yeah, 10. Yeah, so, <laughs> so on the Flacco thing, I, I agree that the the same things had to be swirling through his head that Baker Mayfield did. I, I He think thought he was retired until then. <laughs> he did. He did. I, I just think that the, that the stats are a little bit better in Baker Mayfield's favor, like TD to pick wise. And then also when you consider it, Baker Mayfield was doing it for the whole year. You know, yeah. Flacco did it for only like, what, five, six games at the end of the year. I think that has to mean something. I think our, our reasoning for not choosing Hamlin is the same reason why you and I are siding with Baker over Flacco. It's just the right. overall season of the resume. Right. I do I do think there's something to be said, though, that for Flacco, like how this year went, it's almost like a, a comeback in and of itself. Like, I think it fits the award really well mm -hmm. for what for what it means. Like, you're not just looking at, year to year you're looking at in context within the year itself also so i think that kind of sure. gives him maybe a little bit of an edge in some ways like either way if it's flacco or if it's hamlin this is like a disney movie level story um except for the <laughs> the demar hamlin fake punt at, at the end of the Bills season <laughs> but um i had to bring that back into it but um yeah i, I would love to see baker win it i don't think he will um, it'll probably be, it'll probably be Hamlin. And if it's not Hamlin, it'll probably be Flacco. But if, if Baker wins this award, I'll be really stoked for him. We shall see. We shall see indeed. Uh, okay. We've got three awards left. Defensive player of the year. I want to dive into this one. Cause I, I think. Oh I'm, boy, do I want to as well. <laughs> I, I know where you're, I already know where you're going to go. Yeah, you start, one. you start with your opinion first. Well, I think that there's a case for everybody in this, in this group of five. Um, TJ Watt. I want to, I want to start with him. Honestly, that's who I would have started with 68 total tackles this year. Second amongst our five finalists. 19 sacks, most in the NFL this year. 19 tackles for loss, 
that was up there near the NFL's leaders as well. Four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and that's not to mention he he also missed a few games this season as well. Um, by and large, the heart and soul, not just of the Steelers defense, but of the Steelers team in general, and is the absolute backbone and centerpiece of that franchise. Without TJ Watt, you guys have nothing, nothing. And I think you know that just as much as I do. Um, Micah Parsons, also a fantastic defensive player. I think despite 64 tackles, 14 sacks, 18 tackles for loss, he actually has one of the weaker resumes for these finalists, which is crazy because he had such a phenomenal year. Um, for me, it came down to, I looked at the award and, and I had to think about it. Whereas, you know, Miles Garrett, he's a phenomenal player. I, I love him. But I think TJ Watt, Max Crosby, and Deron Bland had the three most impressive defensive seasons. Deron Bland maybe doesn't affect the game in quite as many ways as some of these guys, but five pick sixes breaking an NFL record having nine interceptions in a year where Trayvon Diggs goes down at the beginning of the year. The Cowboys need that defensive playmaker to stand up. You're playing for a premier franchise. You're making all these plays. You set an NFL record. That's really hard to overlook and, and um, not reward to me. Uh, but Max Crosby, 90 total tackles as an edge rusher. Are you kidding me? Uh, 14 and a half sacks. 23 tackles for loss, most in the league, two forced fumbles and a fumble recovery. I love TJ Watt. I, if he wins this award, I, I really think all these guys are deserving of, this, of the award to a certain extent. Parsons, I, I don't think should win it, but if anybody else wins the award, I'll understand why. And even Parsons to a certain extent, if he did too, but Crosby is who I would go with because I think his impact for the Raiders is just as much as Watts for the Steelers, if not slightly more. Um, he means just as much to that franchise as Watt does. And I think he's going to mean even more so to them going forward, considering he essentially like planted his flag on the ground on Antonio Pierce Island to the ownership group and said, Hey, like this is our guy. If he's not, I'm gone. Right. He's calling the shots in that locker room. So that's who I would go to. I think he's well-deserved. I've been a fan of his game for a long time. We've talked about Crosby a lot on the pod this year. And <laughs> I, besides just wanting to, to not double down on TJ Watt with you and, and play devil's advocate to you slightly. Um, Max Crosby had a phenomenal season, man. I, I mean, 90 total tackles as a D lineman is really difficult to do. Yeah. When I was looking through the the total stat lines of all of these defensive player of the year award finalists, and I got to Max Crosby's, I was taken aback. Um, I think everybody knows where I'm going to go with this, but if there is one person besides TJ Watt that I think is super deserving or that I'd be okay with winning this award, it's definitely Max Crosby. He's got 90 total tackles. As you said, he's four and a half sacks behind TJ Watt. So Watt definitely has him in that category. But in the same light, Crosby has four more tackles for loss than TJ Watt does. And we all know that, you know, a tackle for loss, even if it's on a, a running back or whatnot for three, four yards, can serve the exact same purpose as a sack. So I look at those stats pretty much in a very similar light. Um, where I the things that would factor into TJ Watt's side that that I am still going to give him the award for has more forced fumbles, four to Crosby's two. Um, and he's recovered three fumbles compared to to one on Crosby's end. And TJ Watt also has an interception to his credit and a defensive touchdown this year. 
that interception was against the Rams and really swung the balance of that game to set the Steelers offense up with an easy touchdown uh, coming out off. They had like a goal to go situation from there. And for me, like Watt just makes everybody around him so much better as well. You, you mentioned he is the, the lifeblood of our team. We're like one in 11 when he doesn't play in games that he's missed since we've drafted him. He's look at Bud Dupree's career, right? Bud Dupree was the edge rusher opposite of TJ Watt um, for a few years in Pittsburgh. Now he went to Tennessee after the fact he's been, I think he, this year he was in Atlanta. He's only ever had one year with double digit sacks. And of course it was in a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. Look at Alex Highsmith, another very talented edge rusher that the Steelers have right now. Last year he had 15 sacks. Now TJ Watt missed a large portion of the year last year. I believe Watt missed seven games. In those seven games, Alex Highsmith only recorded four sacks. Games where T.J. Watt played, he had the remaining 11. So Watt makes everybody around him better, and it's it's because you have to direct so much attention to him. Tight ends have to chip him. The running backs have to devote their pass-blocking coverage to him, and he's not alone in that. Other guys on this list can, can say that, but I, I think that you're right. With how much he meets the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense, and the fact that, you know, guys like Minka Fitzpatrick and Cam Hayward spent time with injuries this year. Watt was pretty much that constant force the whole way through. I have to give it to my man, TJ. He's led the league in sacks in each of the past three years that he's played a full season. It's so incredible. I, I don't think he's going to win it based on what I'm hearing. But for me, I think it should be a two-person race, Watt or Crosby. Patrick, if I could turn this back on you real quick. The people that are in favor of Miles Garrett, because that's a guy we haven't really mentioned so far, are going to cite his pass rush win rate and his like PFF rankings and some of the underlying metrics that don't always show up in the stat sheet as a reason for why he may win it. How much do you value that when looking at this award? Because I think that's a huge discussion here as well. Um, I do value it, but I also think if you're looking at pure win rate, you also have to look at the total pressures generated. Um, Miles Garrett has an insane win rate this year. And uh, the, the opponent quarterback rating is 39.6 on his pressures, which is actually lowest amongst all these finalists. But in terms of actual pressures generated, he has 37 to TJ Watt and Max Crosby's 50 apiece. So, I mean, Garrett also missed a handful of games this year. He is a surefire guaranteed Hall of Famer because of how many consecutive seasons now he has with double-digit sacks. He had 14 this year. Um, like, <laughs> he's terrifying. Um, hurries, he's he's up near the top of the list as well. Uh, Crosby, though, has 20 hurries. TJ Watt has 12. Um, like, I, I just look at it, and I can't, I can't take my eyes off of some of the other stat lines of these guys. Um, Garrett is, the, is the betting favorite by the way. Like, yeah, that's what I was asking you about him in particular. A lot of people think he's going to win the award and um, I don't think he's undeserving of the award if, if it does happen, but it's like I said, I, I, I think the seasons of Crosby and Watt are a lot more impressive. I completely agree. Like I said, those were the two guys I made the case for. And yeah, and this I isn't know. me saying Garrett is overrated. Like he's a phenomenal player. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. And I think like on a year to year basis, he may be the 
best defensive player in the league overall. I just don't think he had the best individual season this year. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, me as a Steeler fan, I'll say he's overrated every day of the week, twice on Sunday. But he's a great he is a great player. I just I, I think that some people, considering that he is the betting favorite now, like we're starting to look at these PFF grades and these pass rush win rate, like underlying metrics more and we're evaluating we're valuing them more than the actual performance on the field just because you win your block and, and beat the man in front of you doesn't mean that you made a productive play you know if you beat your block and the quarterback still gets the ball out and it's a 15 20 yard pass play okay so what you know if you're not getting to the quarterback it's not registering in sacks and hurries and like incomplete passes that's that's one thing and and i don't think that we should solely reward miles garrett because of this pass rush win rate. So I wanted to talk about that. TJ Watt's going to be my pick. Max Crosby has had a phenomenal year. I'd be completely fine if they gave the award to Crosby over Watt, obviously rooting for Watt. Um, but those are my two. And uh, this should be, it should be a good race. You're, you're right. There are plenty of deserving guys on this DPOY award. And uh, Mike Parsons is a guy, if I can get one more thing in here, Mike Parsons, I haven't mentioned him at all, but you talked about, some of his sacks and maybe total tackles aren't quite there with like Crosby and Watt. His he is so versatile in his position. He he can go out and cover. They move him all around. He'll play middle linebacker. He'll play outside linebacker. So when it comes to the pure tackles, sometimes he is not always in the best position to make the tackle because sometimes he's just flat out covering other guys. And and Watt though he'll break out into the into the flat and cover. Sometimes him and Crosby don't do that quite to the same degree. So I just wanted to note that about Parsons as well. He's a tremendous talent in and of his own right. But as a Steeler fan, this award should go to number 90. TJ, you got my support. Awesome, man. Yeah, I I, I love that award. When we first announced the finalists, I think the immediate reaction you and I had was that this one could be like totally wide open and, and you might have the best argument for all the finalists versus some of the others. There's um, a lot of good names on this list. Yeah, a lot of them. A lot of really good seasons. Um, such is the case for Offensive Player of the Year as well. And this one, I think, could get very interesting. Um, you've got three MVP finalists on this list. Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott. Lamar this year, over 3,600 passing yards, uh, 821 rush yards, a combined 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 67.2% completion rate, and a 102.7 passer rate. By the way, this was the first year in his career where he was in the top five in passer rate. So yes, Lamar Jackson is a capable passer. I don't want to hear any arguments against it. Um, Dak Prescott, <laughs> 4,500 plus yards passing, uh, 36 touchdowns in the air, another two on the ground. Nine interceptions, back to single digits, 67.3% completion percentage, and a 105.9 passer rate this year. And then CMC, 1,459 rushing yards, another 564 yards on the ground. That makes it, or in the air, that makes it 2,000-plus all-purpose yards with 21 touchdowns, 67 receptions. And we haven't even mentioned the wide receivers yet. Tyreek Hill, 119 receptions. 1,799 yards, 13 touchdowns this year, was on pace to break some NFL records, got hampered by injuries at the end of the season. And then we got C.D. Lamb, 135 receptions, league leader, 1,749 yards in the air, 12 touchdowns, also had 
two touchdowns in the ground and over 100 rushing yards on the season. Tyreek Hill had 15 rushing yards. Didn't really find it worth mentioning a ton. I only added that in because uh, CD had those uh, rushing touchdowns as well as the receiving ones. So he had 14 all-purpose TDs as opposed to Tyreek's 13. Um, Paul, I'm guessing that you're going with CMC here, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, that's what I thought. Tell me why. If you look at the total yards here, uh, I think that that's where you have to look at it. If you add up his rushing and receiving yards for this award and then factor in the fact that he had over 20 touchdowns as well, like that, that seals it for me. Um, they're never going to give the MVP and, or they're pretty rarely going to give the MVP and the offensive player of the year to the same person. So I think Lamar is also going to win MVP, which I think makes CMC a slam dunk for this award. But like, his stat line and the receiving is really what leaps out to me as much as anything. 67 catches for 564 yards and seven touchdowns as a running back. Like that is a low end number two or like a high end three, number three wide receiver on a, on a team. And so he is better than some teams, number two, number three options as a receiver. And that's, that, that doesn't even look at the fact that he nearly had 1500 rushing yards as well on the ground. So I just, the complete body of work, how much defenses have to worry about him. Uh, you know, he can line up out wide in the backfield. He's so difficult to bring down, run between the tackles, off tackle. He can break home run plays. I mean, what can't this guy do? Just phenomenally talented. Everybody else has had a very good season that you just mentioned in and of their own right, but uh, so impactful on that Niners offense. And consider this with how many options they have there in San Francisco. And this guy still racked up. Uh, nearly like 1800 1900 total yards and over 20 touchdowns in the regular season unbelievable unbelievable dude so i gotta give it to mccaffrey for that so this is when i zag from you and i'm gonna go in a direction that you might not expect um let me tell you about can i can i guess who you're going with because i think i know who you're going with yeah sure i feel like you'll be able to guess who i'm going with too so my guess is because you have made the case that this guy was actually the best receiver in football this year. I think you're going to go with CD lamb. I am. Yeah. 100%. Go. Okay. I'm going with CD and CD lamb. So I'm going to reference a little stat here called approximate value, which is uh, a metric created by pro football reference founder, Doug Drynan. Basically what approximate value is, is um, it's a, it's a metric that's trying to, help to quantify the exact value that a player actually has on a team and try to put in perspective how you can compare one person's season to another. Like how is one person valued as having this graded season, whereas the other is great as having that season. And it's taking all of these players, every single player's data from the season, weighing it against each other and then giving a value to each player based off of that uh, accumulated data. Um, this season, I'll give you the top five leaders and approximate value. This so year. just to clarify, th this is kind of like war, but for football players. Sort of. Right? Yeah. yeah, sort of. It's not okay. an end-all, be-all statistic, and it's not like perfect, but it accounts for offensive and defensive players, okay? Okay. Um, and it goes by single digits. So uh, there was a, a number of guys tied at, in fifth place this year with an approximate value of 18. Tyreek Hill was in there. Christian McCaffrey was in there. Your boy TJ Watt was in there. Penny Sewell, offensive lineman for the Detroit Lions, was in there. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 
Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, tied in third place with 19 uh, digits of approximate value were Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott. And in first place was Miles Garrett and CeeDee Lamb with 20. Since the AFL-NFL merger, only five other players have had an, an approximate value of 20 or better in a single season in which they primarily played wide receiver. Those players were Wes Chandler in 1982 for San Diego, Jerry Rice in 1994 for the Niners, Marvin Harrison in 1999 for the Indianapolis Colts, Jerry Rice again in 93, so he did it back-to-back years in 93 and 94, and Paul Warfield in 1971 for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, yeah, I think that means something. You're, if you're on a list with Jerry Rice twice and Marvin Harrison once, and your team just had the the season that it did, I was on the record saying a few weeks ago, I think CD was actually more value to the Cowboys this year than Dak was. <laughs> like, I think he should be the offensive player of the year, man. I think he had the most impressive season, 135 receptions, to Tyreek Hill's, what, uh, 119? Like, even if Tyreek Hill plays another game in the season, CD might still have invested in that regard. Every single week was a whole nother highlight type for CD, making catch after catch down the field, game-breaking plays, first downs, uh, clutch conversions on third downs, plays in the red zone. He was uh, second in the NFL, or tied for second in the NFL in touchdown receptions this year. Mike Evans and Tyreek Hill were first by the way no mike evans on this list love you mike wish that you were on it but um yeah i I have to go with cd for this even though cmc had an awesome year even though tyreek had an awesome year i'm gonna give cd some love and and some credit here because uh despite me me picking him he's he's not gonna win the award he's at over plus 1500 odds on pretty much every batting betting platform yeah it's kind of crazy that and you make a fair case for CD there, believe me, that it's crazy, you know, if you would have told me week like 10 or 11 that neither of us would even have Tyreek Hill as our as our favorite to win this award, I would have been flabbergasted, you know, back when Tyreek was on pace to go over 2,000 yards and uh, everything in Miami kind of ran through him. Then he missed that that game or two towards the end of the year, and, and Miami just kind of fell off in general. So obviously the, the team's success plays a role in this as well. And I think that that's also maybe part of the reason why McCaffrey, because McCaffrey's the betting favorite for this, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's also part of the reason why, you know, McCaffrey's much higher than CD, but uh, just to close on CMC, uh, if we're going on that approximate value stat, uh, McCaffrey was 18. I think CD was 20 this year. So McCaffrey's right there on the list in the top 10 as well. Uh, more yards, more touchdowns, but uh, everything you said about Lamb is is 100% true. And, uh, you know, the fact that he was able to have the season that he was. And, yeah, I mean, a large part of Dak's success and the reason that Dak was considered the, the MVP was because he had such a reliable pass-catching option to throw to. So completely justified. I don't think that the odds should be that high stacked against Lamb, as, as you mentioned that they were. But I will stick to, uh, to my man McCaffrey. Uh, some other stats I thought were interesting, just valuing the receivers against each other. Tyreek Hill. A 69.59 catch percentage this season. So that's the percentage of targets he caught thrown towards him, essentially. Uh, C.D. Lamb was at 74.59. So there's five whole points of separation between them. However, the stat that favors Tyreek much more is the uh, percent share of teams air yards, which is targeted air yards percentage. Um, 
<laughs> he was good for 43.44% of the Dolphins receiving yards this year, which is pretty astounding. Um, wow. All right. For the record, you're going with CMC. I'm going with CD for the MVPs. Um, do either of us have someone besides Lamar winning MVP? No, I think Lamar uh, will and should win it, given the finalists. Again, I think that there is a case for C.J. Stroud, but he's not a finalist and also probably doesn't quite have the numbers to to get there with Lamar. Um, when you look at passing and rushing stats, as you do have to do for this award, and the fact that, you know, like J.K. Dobbins went down at the beginning of the year, so really didn't have top running back options there for, for Baltimore and and they're receiving for Mark Andrews goes down. Zay Flowers looks to be a very good receiver, but again, just a rookie. Pretty clear cut for me. All right. Yeah, I, I feel like Lamar is probably going to win this too. Um, I, If I had to go with somebody else, um, partly I want to I wanna go Purdy, but I feel like Dak might be the second most deserving of the candidates, if I had to pick anybody else, I mean, led the league in touchdown passes this year, single digit interceptions. Lamar had single digit interceptions as well. Um, 105.9 passer rate, second in the league, 45, 4,500 passing yards. I mean, yeah, Lamar's probably going to win it. I, I wish that the award was valued a little bit differently because I don't know if he necessarily had the best season um, from these guys, but I understand why, why he'll be, why he will eventually end up being the choice. Yeah. I would say that the two guys that I think would have the best case, or at least in my opinion uh, would contend with Lamar, the best aren't even finalists. I've mentioned CJ Stroud and then everybody knows on this podcast, how much I, love Jordan love. I think that um, you take away those two guys from their respective teams and they're not playoff teams, not even close. So I think that those guys have cases, but yeah, I mean, when you look at the value that Lamar has to the Ravens, completely justified and, and rolling with him. Awesome. All right. Going back through our predictions for these award winners. Um, the official awards announcement is going to be Thursday night. So Friday morning, you may hear a little something, something from us. Uh, just recapping those, if there's any crazy surprises. Uh, Lamar Jackson, our consensus pick for MVP. Coach of the year, Paul, is going with D'Amico Ryans. I'm going with Kevin Stefanski of the Cleveland Browns. We both have Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, as our assistant coach of the year. On the offensive player of the year side, Paul is going with Christian McCaffrey, betting odds favorite. I'm going with C.D. Lamb, defensive player of the year. I have Max Crosby. Paul has T.J. Watts. Comeback player of the year. We're both picking Baker Mayfield. Baker, baby. Let's ride. Jake and bake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Offensive rookie of the year. We both have Puka Nakua. And on the defensive rookie of the year side, I'm picking Will Anderson. Paul is picking Kobe Turner. Fifth and long fans, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We've got a lot more action coming your way as far as Super Bowl week coverage goes. So stick around. And I hope you enjoyed. Um, don't take our picks as as our word is bond. You know, if we hurt you and no, after we did, I, I did not make any picks in terms of actually like betting on it. This is just my personal opinion. So okay, good to know. I haven't yeah. either. I, I don't yeah. plan on it. So um, 
if if you folks choose to do the same thing don't come crying to us if, if it doesn't work out in your favor um stick around we got another episode tomorrow uh tune into us on the socials right here on fifth and long on twitter and at fifth and long pod on instagram and youtube we'll see you next time right here on the fifth and long podcast god bless everyone <laughs>